Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. We are surrounded by friends and family who have experienced and live with trauma, but what does that mean for our friendships? What does that mean for pastoring, for being in churches? What does it mean to be a trauma-informed church? That's what we're talking about today on the Being With podcast, focusing on neuroscience, spiritual formation, and faith. And we are brought to all of you, produced by Grassroots Christianity, which is seeking to grow the faith of everyday people. I'm so excited to be joined today with Pastor Fred Ligon. For some reason, I always want to put an S at the end, maybe because he's just so awesome. But he is a pastor, a social entrepreneur in Williamsburg, Virginia. He's been working with homeless populations, socially displaced, and he's been seeking justice and reconciliation uh, racially and beyond in his context. He's been engaged in uh, trauma-informed church for many years and has received all sorts of training. So he's bringing both a pastoral and kind of a more professional perspective to these things. But Fred, welcome to the Being With podcast. Hey, Jeff. Glad to be with you, brother. It's an honor. Yeah, absolutely. Fred and I have known each other for a long time. I think we both fall into the category when it comes to neuroscience and things where if we knew what we knew now, we would have gotten a different like oh, advanced yeah. degree. So I got, <laughs> I got, you know, a PhD in theology and now I'm just like, I want to go back and get like another one in neuroscience. My wife's like, no, you're not doing that. And I know Ted, right. uh, not Ted, Fred, uh, you, you just recently got a demon, which has nothing to do with the spiritual realm, you know, although it's not totally disconnected, but that's a doctor in ministry degree. But now I'm like, you probably would have gone for some sort of trauma informed kind of stuff. And you've been picking it up as you go, like I have ever since. Well, I, I'm, I'm still in a thesis writing of the demon. So, so no, I haven't gotten it yet, but no, like that's part of, that's part of why I do all these, like why I take all the trainings and get, my wife is weary of me getting certifications. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not getting them to have letters uh, after my last name. Like I just, this is the best way to piecemeal a degree. See, Jeff, that's what we need to do. We piecemeal the degree. We don't get anything other than just truly being able to immerse ourselves in a conversation um, in deeper ways. And that's been the joy. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, so today we're going to be talking about what is a trauma-informed church. And I'm going to set this up by kind of saying two outrageous things. One is, on the one hand, why do we need to be trauma-informed? When we just need to preach the gospel, if we preach the gospel, people will be transformed. That's all we need to do. And then on the other side, you get people who maybe want to say, yeah, we need to be trauma informed in such a way that that's all we're talking about and all we're focused on. And we're kind of just recreating church to focus on this one issue. Yeah. What do you say? I say that if that's something that is worth saying, it's no longer worth saying now that we have all climbed through a pandemic, right? right. Uh, because the culture of social displacement that we have felt has created a sense of, of stress 
that our ability to respond to a pandemic, which is threatening our lives, has been overwhelmed. And that's how we define trauma. Dr. Peter Levine in a great book called Waking the Tiger says, traumatic stress occurs when our ability to respond to threat is overwhelmed. So it's, it's possible to say that coming out of a pandemic, entire societies have walked through a collective trauma. There has been a shared experience and a shared threat that has overwhelmed us, and our ability to respond to that has been overwhelmed. And so we've remained vulnerable and uncertain, and we lack the power, whatever and however we define power, to negotiate that feeling of uncertainty and vulnerability. So we have to ask this question because if we don't, we'll be a trauma uh, deformed church or a trauma misinformed <laughs> church. And so we might as well get ahead of this. We are living through this collective trauma known as a pandemic. And so that's yeah. great. Well, so let's unpack these things kind of little by little mm-hmm. one. And you just kind of said, it, but let's say it again. What is or characterizes trauma? Like how? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we know there's different forms of stress, right? Um, but traumatic stress happens when we are threatened, when we feel threatened, whether that threat is perceived or are actually embodied, but but the perception is I feel threatened and my ability to respond to that is overwhelmed. I I am I am struck with fight, flight, or freeze, or I am overwhelmed to be able to do anything about that. Uh, and so what we know is that not every event is traumatic to all people, meaning traumagenic events are events or seasons of life that may be trauma producing. Are Capacity for resiliency oftentimes dictates what is traumatic stress and what is not traumatic stress. So the first thing I would say is there is traumatic stress. The second thing I would say is what is traumatic to one may not be traumatic to another. Mm-hmm. But in its most simplest definition, and I, I know I talked about Levine earlier, but it really is one of the better ways to handle thinking about it for me is that it occurs when our ability to respond to threat is overwhelmed. Okay, good. And so, and that's different for different people. So if my um, emotional, relational kind of capacity is at one level, then it might, uh, a certain stressful event might push past, you know, some people talk about windows of tolerance. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Flip my lid. So uh, whereas someone else's capacity might be much bigger or they have larger social resources to be able to recover quicker. There we go. Yeah would not be pushed past their windows of tolerance. And so therefore would not be in a sense traumatized. So trauma isn't always, it's, it's not necessarily the event. It's your um, response. Yeah. Your response to the event. Okay. So which, which real quick, Jeff, one of the languages we like is um, traumagenic events. So to say something is traumagenic means that trauma is possible. It may produce trauma. Um, So, so the experience, so the event itself is a threat. It is, it creates a certain sense of vulnerability and uncertainty. It is therefore traumagenic, but it may not produce trauma, a trauma response mm-hmm. or result in trauma exposure to those who are surrounded by it. And for some, it may. Okay. So then before we get to what is a trauma informed church, I feel like you probably want to define then what collective trauma is or something like that. Or yeah, go, Okay, go ahead. No, no, let's, let's go there. I mean, that's, that's important because, you know, a person's trauma response to a traumagenic event is generally like like what is happening inside of me, right? And a lot of times when we talk about trauma, we center it on an individual model. And that's good. We need to talk about it, I think, on individual levels. 
But the trouble with centering trauma as an individual model is that it doesn't address or explain what is happening collectively that makes the individual trauma possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are living, it it is within the categories of trauma studies, there is this larger category of societal trauma or collective trauma that has to do with embedded experiences. It acknowledges that we are social creatures and we are a part of a social system. We're part of an ecosystem of relationships that involve families, institutions, organizations, political constructs. We are embedded in a context of cultures, beliefs, and systems. And we are not, the the impact of those realities impact us individually, but they exist collectively. Mm. So I think we have to have a both-and conversation. Okay, good. So to have that conversation, then what is a trauma-informed church? What's your working definition? Mm. And then we'll start unpacking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, I would say, I guess, I guess my working definition of a trauma-informed church would be a church that recognizes uh, that societies and collectives of cultures experience collective threats that overwhelm us. Uh, and a church is one that simply acknowledges the reality of that. So I guess if I had to restate that probably better, a trauma-informed church is a church that recognizes that collective trauma exists and impacts every individual differently. Okay. So what does that look like then day to day as a church, as a pastor, yeah. you, yeah. you deal with multiple populations coming from different kinds of trauma, yeah. uh, uh, <clears throat> both racial trauma, economic trauma, <clears throat> Uh, and I'm sure also sexual trauma and things. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what does that mean practically to realize the reality of holistic trauma and how mm-hmm. that interacts with individuals and their own personal trauma? Like what, yeah, does that, yeah. what does it mean for like a Sunday morning people come in or I, I don't know, like I could throw out all sorts of examples, but or yeah. But. Yeah, no. So I do want to say this just, I, I know I'm being a little redundant, but this is important. So as a pastor then who is a little like who understands a little bit about trauma. I recognize that every person in our congregation is subject to trauma, regardless of their economic, socioeconomic, gender, race, ethnic uh, realities, right? Like they're, they're subject trauma is possible. What I also know as a pastor um, is I know the people, right? Like I'm one of the pastors in our congregation. I know, I know who we are. And so when, for example, let's just say sexual assault, which is a hard, a hard conversation to have, Let's say when sexual assault is being put on public display and it's dominating the news narrative Mm -hmm. and it's all over the place. And you hear the stories of of women crying out to be heard and believed. But then you hear that cry of being heard and believed pushed aside, explained away. And you hear, you know, the narrative. I know then that there is a possibility that some of the sisters in my congregation and maybe even some of the men who've also experienced uh, sexual assault, that their story could very well be replayed in their brains and replayed in their minds and replayed in their hearts because of what's being played out in society. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to bring that into the gatherings that we have, small or large. Uh, They're not coming into that unfazed. Uh, a real easy example, if you're in a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural context, is my black and brown brothers and sisters coming into my congregational context in which I'm found. So we gather together in various spaces. 
I know that when their lived experience has been put on public display day in, day out, all week long, they're not coming to the gathering untethered from that reality. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. So then pastorally, how do we create space in our gatherings, large or small, to create a culture of security, support, voice, and choice? And so if you said, what 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 does a congregation that is trauma-informed look like? I would say a congregation that is trauma-informed looks like, first off, acknowledging that that happens, that people don't come into a gathering unfazed or untethered from the realities of societal collective, um, even media uh, media portrayed traumas, uh, that it can do something inside of them. They bring that to the space where we all meet around the table of Christ. The question then is how do we open up space within our gathering for Christ to meet us there, to meet us in that place and to open up the possibility of healing? I would say that there are four things we have to tend to, security, support, voice, and choice. We need to create a culture where security, support, voice, and choice is possible. And that has to look like something. That's where I would, that's the simplification. All right, so then, so then if you say security, support, voice, and choice, yeah, you said we're trying to create spaces for that to happen, for yeah. people to come in. Yeah. Uh, so one is kind of a, an intellectual acknowledgement mm-hmm. that people are bringing in their trauma and you know we're kind of focusing on sunday morning but really it could be pastoral counseling no, i mean but it can yeah it can be any situation yeah it could be a youth yeah. group it could be yeah. you know worship team you know yeah. so, but pe- it's an acknowledgement that people are bringing their collective and personal trauma which in my mind says we don't just preach against sin in the set or talk about sin in the sense of people make certain choices that are against God's will and we need to name that and help people see them so that they can mm-hmm. stop doing it. But mm-hmm. rather something like people bring their sin in the sense of their trauma, uh, which is they've been sinned against. And sometimes it's not even sin. It could just be a car crash, right? It could just be mm-hmm. like they're bringing something mm-hmm. they can't handle, but they're bringing their sin with them and they're not, uh, this comes out of conversations you and I have had before and they're not necessarily acting consciously or willfully to do X, Y, and Z. They're just, living within that trauma mm-hmm. and that preaching against, you know, the gospel of sin management, preaching the, the gospel of sin management is not going to help those people not behave that way or outburst right. or right. leave or shut down or whatever. Um, right. So, so that's for me, the first kind of acknowledgement, but you talk about security support, voice and choice. Yeah. So could you unpack those? Um, Cause it seems like that's <clears throat> kind of the, the grit of being a trauma informed church. Is that right? Well, I don't know if it's the grit, but it's it's uh, it's four pillars for me. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure people smarter than I am can offer better. No, because here's here's what we're thinking. Like if you are a church that is reaching what we would consider like unchurched, the church folk, right? Like if people are coming to the table of Christ and we are all getting healed together, we're all walking through Shalom together. Then I don't think churches can be safe. But I think churches can be secure. So I do tell people who come to our church, I can't say you'll be safe because I don't know how you define safe Um, in our church where we're a hot mess in some ways. You're liable to get your feelings hurt. You may be in a situation where you may and I hope not where you may get wounded. And when you are and if that happens, we will address that together because pain that isn't transformed is pain transferred. And so we're going to have to figure out how to transform that together by the spirit of God to lead us. But what I can tell you, though, is you are secure. That pain, that wound, that hurt will not be ignored. It will be addressed. We will tackle this together 
So I can't offer you as one of the congregational leaders this culture of safety, but I can offer you because of the power of the spirit and the people of God and the commitments we have to our faith, a culture of security. I can say that you belong at the table and we will fight together. Even if we have to fight each other, we will fight for each other to stay at the table. Uh, And that in and of itself brings about support, I think. And so when you look at power dynamics in the church and people who are listening to this may disagree, and it's completely cool if you do. um, I think the church has to understand that um, power centers are real, like centers of power exist. And the reality of it is, uh, particularly in a society where collective trauma is possible, um, we are going to sometimes have to stand with the vulnerable, stand beside the vulnerable, stand beside those on the margins And to do that sometimes is to, and I hate to say it this way, is to choose sides Mm -hmm. Um, because society is so imbalanced, right? Like this is society, like here's the powerful and here's the weak. And so they're carrying the weight. And sometimes I think the church has to climb over here to level that out, right? Like to balance that out. It's kind of a first Corinthians 12 story Mm -hmm. where God gives greater honor to those who have lesser honor. Uh, There are some in society who have lesser honor when they come into the church. We have to we have to create, we have to see about how does the spirit of God create this culture of equity and equality among us where, mm. where people are not just invited to the table, but they're allowed to eat. Where people are not invited just to the dance, but they're allowed to dance. They're allowed to even choose the songs we dance to. That's voice and choice. How do we do that practically? Well, um, now you're skipping ahead. You skip support though. So we'll get back to well, no, but that. But, so yeah, what no, is, that's good. Yeah. What is uh, support that security sounds? Is, I'm with you. I'm for you. Um, I can't guarantee that you'll feel safe, but I can guarantee that you'll be secure because I'm with you and for you. Well, so what is support? Are those similar or is there something else? Yeah, no, I think, I think security gives birth to support, doesn't it? Like, like if I feel secure, then I feel supported. Uh Like, like, so, so I'm with you and you're with me and we're in this together and we're going to fight for each other. Even if it means we have to fight with each other, we will fight. It's because we're fighting for each other and we will take the pains we experienced and we will come together with those pains and we will ask God to transform those pains so that those pains aren't transferred into other parts of our life and spill into other aspects of our being. Um, and so I think creating a culture of security necessitates a culture of support. Um, support support, and security, they, they come together. But if you don't have the voice and choice, and I'm not trying to move ahead necessarily. No, I was going to ju- it. So what's yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have voice and choice, then security and support can become nothing less than assimilation, mm-hmm. right? It becomes a form of assimilation where the power dynamics remain the same. Mm-hmm. So with security and support have to come a voice and choice. In other words, giving everyone an equal voice or giving everyone a voice is critical and it's critical for everyone. Uh, so for example, when something happens, okay, Jeff, the world's always on fire, right? Like it feels like the world's always, the world's always burning. Mm-hmm. And and there are times when the fires of the world char the, the bodies of the people who are a part of my particular local church context. Mm-hmm. When that happens, mass shootings, racial justice, racial injustice, um, other other realities of, of traumas that are put out on display or that happen locally in our gatherings, both large and small, we make space for lament. Mm-hmm. We name those things. And we and we lament those things uh, in the hope that the Holy Spirit will help us tame those things inside of us so that that pain that happens begins to be 
transformed. And so we name things. We have lament. Lament is a standard part of our gathering where we give voice to these realities. Um, when we give voice to um, black lives that are seemingly so disposable in society in things like what we see with police brutality, when we give voice to those things in our gathering, that is a, that is a moment of solidarity between all of us as a community where the one in our church who doesn't want to acknowledge that black lives are somehow disposable in our society is brought to the same table with the person who believes deeply in their own lived experience that black lives are disposable in society. Now everybody has a decision to make. Right. Creating space for that voice creates the opportunity for transformation and decision. Mm, that's great. And it opens up the trauma. It opens up the trauma. It says, I see you. And I see you so much that we're going to take time in our gathered space as a family of God to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're going to weep with those who weep. We're not going to make those who weep answer why they're weeping. We're just going to weep with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's critical, man. I'll tell you real quick. When something happens in society that shakes us, Admittedly, it's bizarre if we get on together on Sunday as the royal priesthood of God, like as the kingdom of priests, and we just start singing hallelujah choruses of celebration mm-hmm. as if the world's not burning. Right, right. Like, can we make space to lament and bring to God that the world is on fire yet again? Mm, right. And then out of that, raise a hallelujah. So we still get to play that acoustic rock in churches? I think we do, man. <laughs> Good. I think we do. But we but we right. move into it together. That's the point. Like we level that moment together. Rather than some of us just carrying on because life was great this week, while this brother over here, this sister over here is weighed down by the societal realities of her lived experience. And we're supposed to come together and act like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you were talking about those things, uh, the processes of like attunement kind of came to mind and empathy mm. is how can we really lean in where it seems like with the security and support, you're building the sense of presence or belonging for yes. everyone. And then I was thinking with a voice and a choice, you're also giving people purpose and agency. So there's kind of these two things where you need to help people, certain people and their trauma, um, gears them toward disconnection and independence. Yeah. And so part of the safety and the security and support is to draw them back into relationship independence. Yes. Uh, Other people process their, their, um, their trauma or live out of it by denying agency for themselves, stuffing their own voice and Mm. uh, believing that they don't have a choice. And so as a trauma informed church, when you help people find their voice again, when you see that they have choices that they can participate in a larger project and have a say, so you're giving them agency. And so that is part of their own um, process of growth and maturity too. And so a trauma informed church is helping draw people of all situations back into belonging presence as well as giving them purpose and agency. Um, and it's kind of this both end. Is am I hearing that right? I'm trying to just bring in the language that I use, but no, I think I, how that sounds. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> that, that's better than what I said. 
Um, yeah, because it's just different. The other thing too, and I haven't had a full episode on this, but while you're talking about security support, voice and choice, I was just thinking like, um, you're trying to help people gain an earned secure attachment is what I was thinking is how can people, uh, live out of an earned secure attachment, um, rather than living out of their trauma. And maybe that doesn't make any connection to you, but that was a, no, was no, it, no, it does. And even if you think of something like developmental trauma, where we're told that self-worth, self-regulation and relational connections are, are mitigated or decreased, or that capacity is adversely impacted through developmental trauma, trying to create a congregational culture of security, support, voice, and choice makes it possible for some of those things to heal. It's right. kind of, kind of where I am. Right. right. So so that we all might be built up in the maturity of Christ. That's that's it. That's it. Like this is where I think theology becomes intensely practical. Um, you know, so if I'm the pastor who says, well, we can't talk about trauma stuff because that's pop psychology or that's always erring on the side of some small group of people within our church. Well, number one, then I don't understand that everybody in my congregation is exposed somehow to trauma. And if we never thought that was true, we do now because of a pandemic. Right. So like the, the, the playing field has been leveled in that sense. And pastors, I think we have to wake up to that reality. Mm. But the other thing to all of this is, is this is where theology meets its meets meets the boots on the ground. You need first Corinthians, you know, eight through 13 gets lived out this this self understanding, this mashup text in first Peter chapter two, verse nine about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds. You know, the text, that mashup of Exodus, Hosea, and I think it's uh, Isaiah that Peter uses as what seems to be almost a a text of self-understanding for the church. Like that's an identity formation text oh, yeah. for the church. We can't be a royal priesthood if we have, if we as the priesthood of God have our heads in the sand. And so I think an opportunity for the gathering of God's people, large or small, whatever the contexts are, especially those of us who are, who are, who are shaping kind of what, what takes place in the liturgies of those gatherings. And I'm not just talking about Sundays at that point, I'm talking about table too. Sure. I think, I think coming in with a conscious awareness of, am I a person who is, who is practicing compassionate listening and compassionate listening also involves security, support, voice, and choice. Matter of fact, that's where I got it from as I, I learned that compassionate listening involves creating space for security, support, voice, and choice. And I started asking then, what would pastoral practice with compassionate listening look like? What would a culture shaped by this look like? And so you pick up phrases. I picked up this one phrase from one sister here in our in our town, our city. And she said, don't do don't do anything about me without me. OK. Yeah, and I thought to myself, wow, nothing about me without me. So that that's a voice and choice. So if we're going to give voice to something and we're going to try and address that, then we got to let we have to let those voices be the ones to speak. Yeah, yeah. Not not my voice. So now now I have to decenter myself. So now pastors have to be willing to decenter themselves and let other voices come to the center to voice the traumas, those who are ready and willing and wanting to do so. Amen. Well, as we wrap it up, I have a comment and then a question. So one is I start off with kind of, you know, the the either or kind of statement, which is, well, why can't we just preach the gospel uh, and focus on that? That'll transfer, transform people. Um, but in one sense, what I hear you saying, uh, especially if we have a broader conception of sin is, well, all of this is preaching the gospel when we do this. Uh, and Jesus in Luke 4, you know, when he pulls out the the scroll of Isaiah, you know, he came to set the captives free. Mm. And if our preaching and living as churches aren't setting the trauma 
captives free in the mm. sense of helping them grow and move. And there's, you know, this is a whole nother episode, right? Is anyone ever free from their trauma? You know, when we could talk yeah. about that, but, <laughs> right. uh, but in that, in a sense, like this is all these things is a way of preaching the gospel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then here's the next question is what do you say to someone who's just like, well, why can't that person get over it? Or why can't the past be the past? Why, why do we, even for myself, if I'm someone who's, who acknowledges having had a, a traumatic event or a traumatic past, uh, and it's finally come to mind and I'm finally honest about it. Why, why would you not want me to say, uh, I'll just let the past be the past pastor. We won't, you know, we don't need to dwell on those things. Yeah. What, yeah. what is your response? Like what is going on there? Yeah, well, no, I think what's going on there is, um, and I don't want to sound want to sound snarky, but it's a lack of awareness of how trauma works. The reason the past can't be the past, and the reason I can't just get over it, is the brain-body realities of how trauma works, and it's the meaning-making realities of how trauma works. Uh, both are bound up in how trauma works. One is that collective trauma or that societal trauma. Systems aren't detached from one gender generation to another. It's the opposite, right? Systems form us, family or cultural, and it extends from one generation to another, creating implicit and explicit you know, ways of behavior, rules and practices that determine and shape behavior. And in collective trauma, we call that you know, historical harms or historical trauma, um, that create historical harms. We might say it's structural trauma or even cultural trauma. Uh, so that's one. Collective trauma exists and it involves systems. And the second answer I would say is we've learned that trauma and traumagenic events are both an individual experience and a collective experience. So whether it's a single event trauma or cumulative trauma, it nests in the body even to the point that it can be passed on from one generation to another. I don't know if you talked about this or if you will, but like epigenetics is that field of study, which is you know way out of my pay grade. <laughs> um, but you start talking about how historical trauma works, how cultural trauma works, cultural trauma. Think about the doctrine of discovery or, or Holocaust um, and historical trauma. Think about like racial racialized cultural systems or like structural trauma. Think about like poverty or, or, or racism. Um, secondary traumatic stress, all of these categories of collective trauma are working their way into our bodies mm -hmm. as well as our family systems. Mm -hmm. And so the past in a very real way is always tethered to the present. It's not a question of if the past is still tethered to the present. It's a question of which one has authority. Yeah. Amen. Amen. In the sense that it's true, not amen in the sense that uh, we want it to be that way. Well, right. so in this podcast, and you just covered all those things is we're, we want to focus on how we're embodied people yeah, uh, who uh, experience life emotionally and we live within a network of embedded relationships. So we're embodied, yes. we're emotional and we're embedded and tram and trauma, as you've been talking about kind of weaves it what its way through all those things. It gets lodged in our body, even non-consciously, unconsciously, subconsciously. It, uh, it kind of lives out through our emotions, depending on the relationships we're embedded in and what's happening in those relationships. And, you know, oftentimes we can walk away and just hate ourselves for how we, we responded in that situation, but we just don't yeah. know how to get beyond that, right? It just keeps happening, right? So a trauma-informed yeah. church just kind of lives within those realities, takes them seriously, brings them to mind, uh, voices them explicitly, Mm -hmm. helps people. And I find this to be true for myself, you know, my wife as the coaching she does, but just helps people 
uh, have compassion on themselves yes. for how they might behave that they regret, yes. but also to have compassion on others for when yes. there, someone's coming at you with a lot of heat and you're just like, okay, I can, I can understand what's going on. Um, well, thank you so much for all of this great insight, Fred. Um, I do, uh, we were talking before we, we jumped on, uh, I do want to have multiple episodes. You know, I'd love to have you back on. We're going to bring on some therapists and others just to really kind of continue to peel the onion on trauma, um, what a trauma-informed church might be like, but just kind of how we live in faith in our bodies um, amidst trauma. So thank you so much for the work that you do. And thank you for being on the show today. Hey, brother. Thanks for making uh, making room for that and giving me a seat at the table today. I really appreciate it, bro. Well, absolutely. Well, I know we're going to do this again in some fashion. Uh, Sounds good. So everybody be looking forward to it. This is Again, this is the Being With Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or anywhere else that you get uh, your podcasts. And please sign up for the Being With community. Uh, where you'll get by email every time a new episode is released, as well as other uh, resources and other posts uh, that go along with this whole uh, kind of intermingling of brain science, spiritual formation, and faith. So again, please, in the show notes, you can sign up for the Being With community. Thanks again so much, Fred, and let's do this again. Absolutely. Grace and peace, brother. See ya.